This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Scripture says that we are the body of Christ. And so sometimes these unplanned messages and words um, are brought to us by the Holy Spirit. We we don't put this on our agenda, but it's one way in which the body works to edify uh, one another. Amen. I want to invite to the stage um, Robin and Vian. If you can join. Let's, let's greet them with a clap. So um, I'm going to do a quick introduction and then um, I'm going to give over to them. So basically I met um, the two of them in Secunda where I pastored a church um, with my wife for eight years and um, no one would have thought, but at the end, these two end up taking over the church. And uh, now we are so proud to have them here this morning to share with us. Uh, they are people of faith. Um, how old were you when, when Shailen arrived? Uh, 25? 24? When they were 24, their, um, their, the, the little boy they fostered arrived at their home. Um, I remember what happened that day. I was on Survivor, so people knew about me, and we adopted a daughter. And so there was a a little boy somewhere that needed a home. And then a social worker got my number (laughs) because I was there. Was was somewhere there was an article of us adopting, and and they asked me, "Do you have space for another boy?" And I said, "No, (laughs) there's no way. We won't be able to do it." And what happened is, um, Vian overheard the the conversation on the phone. And he said, we'll take him. And they were only 24 years old. And it's a little part of their testimony. And 12 o'clock after this um, sermon, we've got a little bit of a touch base on how to engage with children in need. We invite anyone that wants to be there to be here. But that's just the introduction. They are people of faith. And they've put their hand up um, for the work of God in their lives in various ways. And we are excited to receive what God has placed on your heart for this morning. And I'm giving over to you there. Amen. Thank you, Varys. Um, just a quick check. Who, who of you guys are actually Survivor fans? <laughs> no, not so much. Werner fans? Any Werner fans? <laughs> now, so it was an interesting uh, time taking over from, from Werner and Junae, and we obviously wanted to do um, everything to better. You know, you want to improve, so you want to do everything better than... And obviously the ministry part, you know, it wasn't that, that easy to do it better. Um, I'm just making a joke. But one of our guys, Renier, I don't know if you've watched Survivor's season this year, but one of our guys, again, Shofar Sekunda, if you want to go on, on Survivor, come to Shofar Sekunda. We'll, we'll get you in. Uh, but unfortunately, it didn't do better than Werner, so in that area, we, we couldn't upstage. So, so you, we're missing you still in that area. And it's really lovely to be a this morning, and again, just want to honor the pastor's couples for allowing us to come and minister here to your lovely congregation, and also thank you for hosting us here in this beautiful town of Hermanus, and allowing us to jump off cliffs and do crazy stuff like that, but it's a privilege to be here and to minister the word of God to you. Um, I'm just going to pray for us before we jump in. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here this morning. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, Father. And thank you, Lord, that each and every one of us here today, Lord, not here by accident, Father, but may we leave, Lord, with a greater revelation of who you are, Father, a greater willingness, Lord, to lay everything at your feet, Father, to see the King, Lord, enthroned, to follow with everything in us. 
And yes, Father, as we go through to today's sermon, Lord, and listen to words, Father, may we also reflect on our own lives, Lord, to see, Father, where are the areas, Lord, that we are still held captive, where we don't want to go, Father, and fully obey, Father, and run when Jesus calls. And we come and submit ourselves to you, Lord, and thank you, Jesus, that in everything you call us to do, Father, you came and set the example. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here and that you are working in hearts, revealing spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we are speaking a little bit about freedom from addiction and also how that ties into adoption. You know, I don't know if you wonder how on earth do these things link to one another, but we'll get there in just a moment. Um, and just from the outset, I'm, we're going to explain some about our testimony, how God came and did a work in our lives and how he journeyed with us and how it came that, that we surrendered to God, that we came to be saved. And you know, two stories of of two people with a radical different outlook on life and a different approach to life, you know, and, and the way we thought that we can fulfill and sustain ourselves looked a whole lot different. But the truth of the matter is that both of us needed to be saved, needed to be set free, needed to encounter God. Now, we want to do two things primarily, and firstly is give hope to those who maybe think about children or grandchildren or family member that's stuck in addiction. Of drug addiction, substance addiction, substance abuse, and you're thinking about them, it's like, Lord, we are crying out, Lord, that you can deliver, that you can save. And to give testimony from my life that that is possible. God comes and he, and he does that. But as we share the testimony as well, to also challenge our outlook on what it actually means to be saved and set free. It's not for a select few of us, but inevitably all of us, as we entered into this life, needed to be set free from sin and it looked a little bit different and it manifests in different ways but that is the problem we find ourselves in as humanity each and every one of us like david says in psalm 51 in iniquity my mother brought me into this world in sin i was conceived it's like a kind of why babies cry they're already crying out for salvation lord help this is an awful place this world in which we live but god come and do something and for me, it looked a certain way, and for each and every one of us, it might look a little bit different. And as I reflect on my life and trying to ask myself the question, how is it that you end up in addiction, drug addiction, substance abuse? How do you get there? What led to that place? Obviously, there are a lot of things in life for a lot of different people, but when I reflect back on my own life and ask myself that question, it comes down to a desire inside of me and an idea to fulfill that longing. All of us, you know, Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden. We know the story. People made for the presence of God in the presence of God. And the moment sin entered into the world, we were cut off from the presence of God. And each and every human being that were to be born would have that longing. There's something I long for. And my wife says it also beautifully. It's A.W. Tozer that writes in a book and he says, what sin does to humanity is someone that maybe was in a car crash or had an accident or someone robbed them and they wake up in hospital a week later amnesia they don't know who they are why they are here or what they are doing here and that is us as human beings we have spiritual amnesia the enemy came and he robbed and he conquered us and we are here and many people just don't know why we are here what on earth am i here for what am i doing here what's my purpose what's my identity and that's what happened in the garden and for me 
trying to fill that void inside of me, I thought to myself, if I can only be accepted, acceptance, and not only be cool, but be the coolest. You have to up the ante here. You have to, you have to go all out. And whenever you are in a certain situation that manifests in a certain way, depending on the context, depending on the people, that looks a little bit different. So taking this idea of wanting to be accepted, wanting to be the coolest, and you apply that to a primary school context, it looks a certain way. Go to Sarah, give her a packet of jelly torts, maybe touch her hand in the movies, man, then you're cool. Stuff's happening. But taking that same mentality and applying it to the context of high school, it looks a little bit different. Same idea, same mentality, different context. And now all of a sudden we're beginning to party, beginning to drink alcohol, man, because that's what the cool kids do. And at the age of 15, 16, everybody's drinking already, having physical relationships with people. So, so what now? How do we go a little bit further? How do we be the coolest? And at the age of 16, began to experiment with drugs. Started with weed, dacha. And why it's a gateway drug like they call it, that's also just a real drug, by the way. And like people said, no man, it's a plant, God gave it to us. But he never said smoke it, nah. Didn't say that. So it's there, and it's something illegal, and he's trying to fill a void. And then all of a sudden when someone else comes with also something illegal, it's not that big of a deal. I have my little illegal thing, you have your little illegal thing. And soon I discover, but my thing is not working anymore. This high doesn't get me that high anymore. Just leaves me low. The void is still there. Maybe something stronger will do the trick. And reaching the end of high school, obviously studying wasn't the coolest thing to do, so we didn't put too much effort into that. And after school, wondering about what to do now. Everybody's going to study, but what do I do now to be the coolest guy? And I thought to myself, I have it. Helicopter pilot. I mean, come on. That's cool. You know they're saying, you know, does that make you a chopper pilot? Yes, it does. So we are going, we're going to be a helicopter pilot. And when we got there, parents went, dropped us in Pretoria, and we had a little house there, me and a couple of my friends, which turned into the pothouse, little drug house, you know. When you watch it at the movies, literally in my room was a room in the back of the house, and there was just a mattress in the corner, the little duvet over it. That is where I lived but chaotic, and everybody just in there doing drugs, chaos. And as we are there, and there's no parental guidance anymore. We are there left on our own. The drug addiction just became worse and worse. Cat, cocaine, ecstasy, MDMA, whatever we could find that we used. And I remember the day that I actually got my helicopter license. You're thinking that this, this day is going to fulfill me. Man, that void's going to go away, and I'm finally going to make it. Something of myself. Surely then... I'll be full. I'll be satisfied. And I remember it was one of the emptiest days in my life. Thinking to yourself that this thing that's going to fulfill and sustain and it just simply doesn't. And I got home and obviously the drug addiction just became worse. And for weeks wouldn't leave the house except to go and buy drugs. And I remember one day came back at my house and my dad was there. And he told me, you know how much money you cost me this month? And this is not for the house that we live in. This is not for the petrol that we drive with. This is not for the helicopter flights. 
This is not for the food. This is extra money that I say, no, I need it for this reason or that reason, or we're going here, or we're going there. Need money. He says, do you know how much money you cost me? He said, no, he says, 26,000 rand. You constantly need it for something. Just doing drugs, sitting in the house. And I remember going back in one week, I was sitting there in the pot room, awake three days. I sat there and I thought to myself, surely this can't be my life. Man, there has to be more to life than this. And at that stage, remember, I'm thinking to myself, I'm a Christian because I'm white, speak Afrikaans, and live in South Africa. That's kind of the traditional way. We, I didn't know there was a different option. Always ticked it when filling in the forms. And I'm sitting there and I'm realizing, man, but it, it, it might be a good idea. Of, I, I might have heard about something, but there's no reality to it. It's like, God, if you're real, there's something there. This can't be my life. Show me something. And I remember a couple of days went by and my flight instructor phoned and he said, won't you fly with us to someone's game farm? And I remember just having this feeling, leave your stuff and go. Now reflecting back, and oh, it's God starting to work in my life. The Holy Spirit beginning to draw. And I remember I left my stuff and I went with and there we met this funny little American man called Landon. And he irritated me because he was saved. He was content. He wasn't chasing anything. Here I am chasing everything. And here he sits content. And I remember him actually asking me the first day, do you know Jesus? Are you saved? To which I replied, obviously. <laughs> obviously. And went on and we flew a little around with him more. We met these people with a real relationship with God. And remember, me and my wife, my girlfriend back then, went with him to church, church in Pretoria. Man, and we drove there and we felt uncomfortable. This is a weird group of people. And I know my wife actually said, you know, can they really be this happy? Is everybody just pretending? Me and man. But as worship started, man, we... We just felt the presence of God. We were so convicted of our sin. And we just started to cry and weep. Obviously, after that salvation, that happened quite a lot. I remember once we were in church, we were so crying in worship that someone just came and prayed that everything would be okay. And we're like, nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. Everything's actually better now. That's why we're crying. And after the church service, we went to Cappuccinos, and there we had the opportunity to surrender everything to Christ, commit our lives to God. And I remember God just coming, doing such a mighty work. I was almost baptized in the guy's bathtub the day after. But his wife said, no, wait, there's a baptism service on Tuesday, Sunday. We'll do it then. Um, we're thinking back, just baptize people in the bathtub if they want to. Don't do this conditional obedience. Just do it. But God came and he did a mighty work. And there was immediate deliverance. No need to go to rehab. No withdrawal symptoms. The drug addiction, smoking, alcoholism, everything gone. The addiction I struggled the longest with, pornography. That took a while. Walking in accountability, confessing sins. Man, it happened again. You know that feeling. Praying for one another so that healing can come. And obviously God coming, doing a radical life, a lot of restoration in our relationship, stuff that we had to work through. I remember I was... Saved a couple of days in you know, this same scripture that my wife is going to read now. Jesus coming to say, you know, who the sun sets free will be free indeed. The truth will set you free. 
And I remember I was saved a couple of days and God said, no, go and tell everything to your girlfriend. Come clean about everything that, that you've done and all of the things that you did and all of the places that you maybe have lied to her, told stories. And I remember I went and told them, and she said, okay, she just needs some separation for a while. I thought she was breaking up with me. And I'm like, God, I didn't know that that's what it means, the truth will set you free. I didn't know it's that way. That's not nice. And then she said, no, man, I'm not leaving you. I just, just, just need a bit of space to figure stuff out. And from the beginning, God came and he gave us a lot of purpose. And just to also say to you guys as well, whenever it comes to, to addiction or stuff that we are set free from, I remember speaking at a rehab, a couple of weeks ago, and I asked one of the guys there, you know, have you ever asked yourself the question, why do you relapse? I mean, why is it that God did a work in my life, I never relapsed, never had withdrawal symptoms, never went back to drugs, and why is it that the one guy, his name is Gert, he's there a week, but he's run away three times? I told him, why is it that Gert has run away three times already? See, because the enemy comes with lies, and we'll get to that in just a moment. He wants to come and sell us a couple of lies and temptation comes through the sinful desires of the flesh, through the world, and through the enemy. And the thing that God immediately came and taught us the importance of to fight that temptation was what he gives the believer, and that is the word, the spirit, and the church. Man to slot into a community, and they will keep you going. But before I say too much, I'm going to hand over to my wife and then get back to you in just a moment. I'm going to start by reading the scripture for you. It's in John 8 from verse 31 to 38. Um, I'm reading from the ESV translation. Um, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham. And have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And then it, it, Jesus is basically telling them straightforwardly that even though you think God is your father, the devil is actually your father. And when you look at, at Brown's life and you look at my life, there's a, quite a big contrast between the two of us. Um, it wouldn't take an expert or a psychologist or a pastor to look at his life and say he needs to be set free. It's quite clear from the fruit in his life. Um, but when you looked at my life, there was no real reason for concern. No one was concerned about my life. Um, the only concern they had was the fact that I was dating him. <laughs> I remember that teachers used to call me aside and they're like, what are you doing with him? Like, why he's going to hold you back? And I was, I don't know what, yeah, I didn't know Jesus, so I just stayed with him. Um, but yeah, so many things happened in my life, and um, the enemy sold me many lies to, to, uh, of things I can do to fill this void with. So even though I was unaware of this void, I was following this life. I had this idea of 
having a successful life. So first thing is you're a Christian, so you need to be a good person. So I didn't drink or swear or I was always the plichy um, in school. So um, I had this idea that if I became a chartered accountant, that's gonna, like, that's the ultimate thing. Um, I was striving financial independence. I was working hard. So all these goals led me to be a good person. Um, that's why I didn't quite fit the, the group that I was hanging out with. Um, and I studied hard and I had this goal. I was, no one was concerned. They were like, okay, she's got it. She's going to be fine. She's going to make it in life. And um, I was ready to go and study to become a CA at the end of the year. And then the study plans just collapsed. Um, and I remember wondering, so if I don't go and study, what am I going to do with my life? I've worked so hard to come to this point and now there's nothing. Um, I obviously don't have a job. Um, I'm not on my way to go and study. And I remember teachers would actually say if they find me in the mall, I took a gap year then because that's what you do then. And they were like, what are you doing with your life? You're throwing your life away. And I was struggling with that emptiness of not being able to achieve this goal that I thought was going to fulfill me. Um, so it was in that time when I started joining them in all the partying and drinking and smoking and working dacha and sitting there in the boardroom doing nothing. Um, and in that time we met Landon. But when I think back, I'm so thankful because it was in that time that I, that I realized that um, my plans are not going to fulfill me. It's not going anywhere. Everything collapsed. I was like... A washout, if you call it that. So there we were, sitting in the boardroom, and Vian came back from that game form, and he's like, you must meet Landon, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I met Landon, very funny. It was quite evident in his life that he knew Jesus, and he did not have a void. Um, like Brown said, it was so clear that he's so content with his life. Um, and it kind of irritates you. There's a, a big resistance in your heart to like, okay, I actually remember telling him that I don't want to go to their house because I know they know all my sin. They know everything. And he's like, Aquario, because you have this, when the Spirit, Holy Spirit is obviously in him, so we have this conviction of your sin. So when you're in his presence, you're so aware of the fact that you're yeah, market me. You don't, you don't fit the... Christian criteria. So there we are, we went to church, a lot of resistance on our way there, went, got in the church, similar setup, like all these happy people faking all this, woo, and I'm like, okay, here we are, we'll just push through, I'm going to sit at the back, I'm not going to speak to anyone, I'm just going to go in and then go home. And I remember during worship, um, the Holy Spirit just broke our hearts. Um, there was a moment when I was so aware of the emptiness in my heart. And I looked at him, and he was crying, and I was crying, and I was like, I need God to save me today. And <laughs> so I had an option. I was like, okay, or I can just go home and pretend that it didn't happen, um, which, thank God, I did not do, as I'm here today. So um, after church, I thought, okay, it's over now, because that's where I also realized the importance of having someone disciple you um, because if we just walked out of church that day, we wouldn't have committed our life to Jesus. So when I thought it was over, it was not. We were going to cappuccinos, and there we had the privilege to commit our lives to Jesus. Um, 
in cappuccinos that night. So the next day I woke up and my life was sorted out. They phoned me, they're like, you can come and study. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> that's, not, that's not how it works. <laughs> we had to clean up the port room. I always use that example to say that um, the, the, that what you sewed, you will mode. I don't know. But I'm sure you guys know what I mean. But we had to clean up the mess. The effect of our sin. We, need to, we needed to deal with that. We need to clean the pot room. We need to sort out our relationship. And in that time, God set us free of so many things. Um, like he said, we experienced instant deliverance. And um, the first thing the Holy Spirit started speaking to me about was purpose. Um, showing me that you have a purpose apart from what you will achieve, apart from the goals you have. You, you were called to know me. And I remember I was so on my way trying to find my purpose because Brown, he was so privileged. The first week when he got saved, he wrote in his journal that God called him to be a pastor and he's called to lead, peop um, he's called to lead people to Christ. And we knew that we were going to get married later. So I know, okay, that's his calling. But I wasn't sure where I fit in. So I bought that book what on earth am I here for? And I was reading all these books and there was just this awareness of being called to a higher purpose and knowing God. Um, but even though I wasn't sure of the specifics at that time, we just started obeying the already revealed word of God. So we had this immense love for the word of God and um, we just continued to feed it and we were I believe and I know that obedience to God's word and obedience to the Holy Spirit is what set us free. Um, so, yeah, that is me. Okay. Thank you, my wife. So, the one thing I also just want to highlight, you know, as you hear these two different stories, and I think maybe we can relate to that, you know, thinking about people in our own lives, maybe we were those people, this one guy that everybody's like, this guy needs salvation, really, and then there's these other people that just seem to be fine, and but the interesting thing is Jesus explaining in the context of being set free, the truth will set you free, and later in that same chapter when he says to them that you are father of the devil, quite harsh words, he says he is the father of lies. You see, the truth is that each and every one of us has been sold a lie in the past about what brings fulfillment in life. And whether that is chasing financial freedom or a lot of money or business success or being addicted to drugs, the author of that lie is still the same guy. And we need to be set free. And oftentimes I tell people, man, I'm so glad that the lie I was sold was drugs. And I mean, that sounds, that sounds crazy. But the reason why I'm so glad is because I could see very fast that this doesn't work. This is emptiness. And there is people that chase their whole lives. You know, the traditional Western mindset. Man, I'm unhappy now and there's a void inside of me. And I'm busy doing this job and I, I know everything's not as it should be. And I know I don't have that peace. I don't, know, I don't have that fulfillment. But one day, one day when I have enough money and I go and live, in a beautiful little town and get to do what I want to man then just to find out surprise surprise that is not the case Jesus is the one that fulfills thank you for listening remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV 
Go to www.chevronline.tv to download and share.